a city which was as cosmopolitan and diverse as many of our cities today, a city where uh, right in the middle was pagan worship to the sex goddess, and people would worship with prostitution, and all of that was legalized. And Paul arrives just with a, a group, him and a few others, finds a group of people who he thinks are believers, starts speaking to them, finds out they haven't understood the full gospel, so he teaches them, lays hands on them, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Next thing is in the synagogue, he gets kicked out of there, he goes into a big lecture hall, he only gets to have it in the, the heat of the day, uh, where people are kind of on siesta, he preaches, argues, reasons for the faith, lays hands on the sick, they're healed, even his sweat cloths are carried to sick people in the city they're healed people start imitating what Paul's doing in in the name of Jesus um, but they're not preaching the gospel so there's a very comical incident where demons overpower people who really are just trying to um, imitate what's going on without the power of the gospel and they run out of the house without their clothes on which is meant to be slightly humorous um, I mean it's just incredible and then the chapter kind of culminates in the whole city having a riot um, because of what Paul has done, who arrived two years earlier in a city similar to ours. And now we get to read what Paul prays for them. I think that's a great thing to do at the end of this year, before we head into next year. Some of the things we're going to see this morning are great truths as we head into a new year and kind of think, what are our priorities? What are the things that matter to us? What are the things that should be on our heart as a church and as individuals as we head into a new year? I know we haven't quite got there yet. That will happen in a couple of days' time. We're still recovering from Christmas. But we are about to finish a year, head into a new one. And most people will do some kind of reflective assessment of what's gone on in a year or what they're looking forward to. And this prayer has great truths for us. So we're going to get a glimpse into what Paul is passionate about what Paul wants for the church and churches that he's left behind from his ministry and what Paul actually would want for any church. So let's read his prayer. Verse 14 of chapter 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory... He may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. What a prayer. There's so much in here. There's only a few things that I'm going to look at. I want to look at what I think is the main theme, but there is so much that we could dwell on. So to start getting into this, Paul says right at the beginning, for this reason. So what reason? Well, actually, if you flow through the book and there's not time to go into it, Paul actually interrupts himself. He kind of begins chapter 3 with for this reason, then hits pause, talks about his call as an apostle and all his opposition, and then comes back in verse 14. Oh, yeah, yeah, sorry, for this reason. 
And he does literally interrupt himself. So you actually have to go back to the end of chapter 2 to see what Paul was thinking about. And the reason he's referring to what he's talking about is the gospel. He's just spent chapters 1 and 2 talking about the coming of Jesus, everything we've celebrated the last few days, and what Jesus then achieved through his life and death, who we are now of those who believe in Jesus, and what the church is. And the end of chapter 2 culminates the church. All of what Jesus has done brings the church about, which is the temple of God, which is where God lives. And the church being the body where it's not about race, it's not about culture, it's not about class. It's the fact that we're here because we know Jesus and now God lives here by his spirit. Now for this reason, here's what I pray for you. That's how Paul wants us to read this. That's how Paul wrote it. This is what the church is. This is what you are. This is what Jesus has done. Now for this reason, here is what I want to pray for the church. It's interesting just seeing Paul's passion and how Paul works. In a city which could have been as many as 250,000 people, some scholars would put it bigger as that. In a city which is as strategic as it was, in a city where they were still worshipping this sex goddess, in a city which was still pagan, even though Paul had been through there, and the city had gone in turmoil, yes, there's a handful of churches. What Paul wants to pray for is that those churches would be strong. He's not praying for the city here. We know it's right to pray for the city. That came up on the PowerPoint introduction. Jeremiah says pray for the city. At the end of the book of Ephesians, Paul will say, although he's somewhere else at this point, will you pray for me that I may have courage to preach the gospel? But as far as Paul's concerned, he wants to pray for the church. Because if the church, as a community of the gospel, the church, as those who are in Christ, the church who live as what Paul's about to pray, if they do that, then the city will be okay. That's how it works for Paul. So important we understand that. That Paul's passion here, yeah, there's a huge city. Yeah, it's a strategic city. Yes, there are government and powers and people of influence there. Paul, what are you going to pray for? Are you going to pray for this city? Are you going to pray for more power of the Holy Spirit? More people to know that what Jesus has done, more sick healed, more sweat cloths sent out? Paul, that was just you. Wouldn't it be amazing if everybody in the churches had sweaty cloths that they could send round and start a sweaty cloth ministry and the whole of Ephesus would be saved? Paul doesn't pray any of those things. He doesn't pray for more captives to be set free. He doesn't pray for more gospel proclamation in this prayer. He doesn't pray anything for the city. He wants the church to be everything God has called it to be because then the city will benefit. Because then the city will know that there's a Jesus who loves them and that there's a whole different way to live. As we head into next year, make one of your priorities praying for Church Central and every church in the city that loves Jesus. Because if we get what God's called us to, then this city will be completely different. And the poverty and the injustice and the things that go on, and the young man that was stabbed down the road from where we live, the gospel will start to impact into communities when the church lives in the good of what Paul is writing. This is what beats in the heart of an apostle who's seen the sick healed, who even in another place saw the dead raised. Paul, what's making your heart beat? What is it? Ah, that the church would know what Jesus has called them to. That's what he is praying for here. So what does he pray? Well, he prays for strength. That kind of runs through this prayer. Prays that will be strengthened by the power of the Holy Spirit. But then he tells us how that strength is going to work. He talks about if you're going to be strong, 
he talks about the need to be rooted and grounded in the love of God. To be rooted, in another translation, it says established. That sense of standing firm. Here's what Paul longs for above anything else. That we would be rooted and established in God's love. And that's what we're going to unpack this morning. Rooted, it's where a plant, yes, gets strength from, but it's also where it gets its life from. Where energy and nutrients come up from the soil. Paul is saying, here's where I want you, the church, individuals in the church, to get life from, to get energy from, to get strength from. What are you rooted in? What are your roots going into? What are the things that you looked for, for nutrients and for strength? I want it to be the love of God, says Paul, and established, grounded, that sense of standing firm, that sense of strength. When storms come, when difficulties come, when things don't work out as you want, where tragedy suddenly hits, where God doesn't answer the prayer and you wanted it to be answered, when people let you down, when things don't work, when job doesn't work, when there's pressure on, when you close out a year and it didn't quite work out as you thought it would and you're reflecting on that, or you're heading into next year knowing there's challenges coming up, Paul says, I want you grounded in something. I want you to be firm. I want you to be strong. And what is it that's going to do that? It's the love of God. It's not something within you. It's not something that wants you to try harder at. It's not something it wants you to do better at. It's not something it wants the church to achieve. It's everything that God has demonstrated in Jesus. It's his love. His love is meant to bring us life, energy, fruit, and strength, and to be that rock, to be that foundation, to be what we're grounded into, what our roots go into, what gives us strength, how we hold steady when storms come, how we make sure we're not thrown off course, how we make sure that when something difficult hits, we don't lose it, we don't waver, because we're grounded in something. Our roots go into something. It's not just what's on the surface. It's not just singing a good song. It's not just going to the latest conference. It's not just relying on our friends uh, to help us out. It's not just relying on church being good or a Sunday giving us a lift or hoping that we get the right promotion or hoping that something else goes well for us. Then I'll be okay. Now, it's nothing to do with what's on the surface. It's everything to do with what's underneath. To be rooted, grounded, firm, strong in the love of God. Paul doesn't pray that they would know more power and more miracles. Doesn't feature here. I think I kind of be praying that. Hey guys, do you remember what was happening when I was with you? Do you remember those demonstrations of the power of Jesus? Do you remember people being set free from demonic oppression? Do you remember those incredible healings? Do you remember people running to queue up to get sweaty cloths so they could take them out? Oh, it would be wonderful that you would see more of those. I'm going to pray that the miracles I did, you will do. Paul doesn't pray it. It's not what his hope's in. It's not what he's looking for. It's not what the church can be built on. It's not what's going to give them strength. He doesn't pray that they'd be more obedient. Come on, remember this gospel. I want you to obey. He'll write about that later. Talk about loving one another, talk about honouring one another in marriage, talk about forgiving, all of that will come later. It's not what he's praying though, it's what he writes them about in terms of how to live, but it's not what he prays for them. Actually, what he prays for them does produce obedience. Love fulfils the law. That's what Paul writes again and again in about. But he's saying, what you rooted in that love, that will produce obedience. That will result in living the way God wants. It's not the foundation of it doesn't say like come on here's what I'm praying 
I'm praying for a degree of holiness here. I'm praying for a degree of obedience. I'm praying that you carry on living in the way that I taught you. Paul doesn't pray that. He's praying for the foundation, for the hope, for what our roots go into. He's not praying for more theological knowledge and more theological understanding. He's not praying that they would get the whole revelation and counsel of God in all the Old Testament and into what is now forming about who Jesus is. He's not praying for that. Actually, knowing the love of God is theology. It's the purest kind of theology. Because not, it's not in the end about the books. It's not in the end about doctrines and arguments and be able to stand up here and teach it well. Theology means knowing God. And if God is love, then it means you know his love. So actually Paul is making a profound theological point here in what he's praying. But it's not about lining up, getting it all ordered, getting it all worked out. Come on, Ephesians, here's what. I hope you're pushing into everything I taught you. I hope you're understanding it all. I hope you're teaching those new believers and hope those Old Testament prophet studies are going well or whatever else they had the equivalent of. Those things are important to Paul. We see that in the way that he teaches and other things. But when it comes to prayer, when it comes to saying, here's what I'm praying, here's what I come to the Heavenly Father of whom is over all the families of the earth. That's what he means in that first bit. Everything that's here, every person, every community, every tribe, every language derives its roots from him. Every family flows from him. He is the center. When I come to him to pray for this family, here's what I pray. Not more power, not more knowledge and head knowledge, not more obedience, but you be rooted, established. In what? In his love. In God's love. That's what I want you rooted in. We need, we especially in the 21st century, need to unpack what this means because we miss it because we've got far too shallow understanding. Let me first say this. Paul isn't making a cold theological statement here. Some of us grew up in the church or grew up with a religious background and we knew the text, God is love. For God so loved the world, he sent Jesus, everything we've celebrated this year, this uh, last few days. God so loved the world, he sent Jesus. And the danger for some of us is that we've reduced love to just it's a theological statement. Yeah, God is good, God is love. Yeah, of course, we know God is love. And we miss the fire, passion, and everything that there is. Paul is talking about an emotion here. Yes, God may be almighty. He may be unapproachable unless you come to him through Jesus Christ. He may be the father of all families. He may be reigning on a throne, but he has emotions. He has feelings. They're pure and perfect and holy, unlike some of our feelings, but they're still feelings. So in defining and understanding what Paul is talking about here, we need to know primarily Paul is talking about a feeling talking about love as you and I would know it and feel it. He's talking about passion. He's talking about longing. He's talking about desire. He's talking about excitement. I I just cannot resist this with Pete. And can you imagine Pete saying as he asked Sarah to marry him? Just kind of quite fancy you. (laughs) Do you want to marry me? Yeah, right then. Well, that's that done. Facebook, we're getting married. Have you heard they're getting married? Well, that's nice, isn't it? What's the time? No, there's passion, feeling, longing, desire, excitement. That's why Jonathan celebrated it. 
because it's something joyful, something happy, because it touches our feelings. Even some of us who don't know who they are, you still think, oh, that's lovely. Something stirs because that's what love is. That's what love does. There's nothing cold. It's not just a theological statement. And Paul is saying, I want you to get your life. I want you to be strengthened. I want you to be established in this God has passion and feeling and emotion and desire for you. That's God. Not just burning in holiness, sitting on a throne, saying, here's how I want you to live. Not just sitting up in heaven, saying, I sent you Jesus, now listen to him and obey him. But a God who burns with passion, emotion, desire, and feelings for the church. And if you're in the church, then for you as well. God enjoys being with you. God doesn't look around the room and think, yes, yet, what are you doing here? That's a surprise. Oh, well, I suppose about love you as well. No, every single one of you, God has love, desire, passion, and feeling for. Now, most of the time, or some of us, don't get that because we don't have love and passion for ourselves. And we don't think we're worth it, or we're more aware of all the stuff we do wrong, or the stuff which we muck up on them. We focus on that. Now, here's the heart of the gospel. God has passion, feeling, emotion, desire, longing for you. Because he made you. He formed you in his image. And that's stunning and wonderful. It's got nothing to risk offending some people to do with your beauty and whether you're beautiful or not. It's got nothing to do with your self-esteem and how you feel about yourself. It has nothing to do with your accomplishments. It has nothing to do with your intellect. It has nothing to do with what kind of person you are. It's so important we land this, because again, on social media, you see all these kind of things. God loves you. You're beautiful. No, God doesn't love you because you're beautiful. And it could be debatable as to who thinks you're beautiful. That's true. Because it's all in the eye of the beholder and everything else. And let's face it, if we want to be really crass, we've all looked at some people and thought, what does she see in him? Well, she thinks he's beautiful and loves being with him. And the other way around. It has nothing to do with us in terms of our individual personality, beauty and talent. It has everything to do with the fact that God made you in his image. And that you can think and laugh and celebrate and have joy and weep and cry and feel just like he can. And you can choose right and choose wrong. And you know what's good and you know what's wrong. And you can create, not from nothing, only God can do that. But be creative. All of these attributes that nothing else in the created world has other than man and woman. And you can love like he can. And because you're made in his image, God loves you. Because he formed you, made you, brought you about, crafted you, produced you, chose, gave life to you. That's what makes you precious and worth his love. Nothing that you achieve, nothing what you see when you look in the mirror outwardly and that the world would celebrate everything about who God has made you to be. And that comes with a longing and a desire and a passion and emotion from him.
It talks in the Old Testament in Zephaniah about God singing over us. About God rejoicing over us. About God dancing over us. Some of us need to have a revelation of what that means. Because I think one understanding is that this holy, awesome, almighty, or powerful God that spoke and the world was formed, when you walked in this morning, did a little dance. Yeah, there he is, coming to worship me. Whoop! Sorry. <laughs> Get home. What's the preach about? I don't know, but there was a whoop. That will be, that'll be it. If you look carefully in the Hebrew, I'm sure we can find it somewhere in the Old Testament. I'm not demeaning God here. I'm actually touching something incredibly profound and incredibly beautiful and incredibly precious. That such is God's longing and desire for us made in his image. He longs for your company, for your love, to be in relationship with you. You are precious. It's not a theological statement. It's not a logical argument. It's not a moral argument because God is good, therefore he has to do it. All of those things are in there. It has everything to do with his heart burning with fire and passion. See, if you think about everything that human love is, some of the most beautiful lyrics written to songs, gorgeous love poetry, films that are made of stories of people falling in love and all the emotion that that conveys. You think of all those stunning things that you'd have read, listened to or watched that talk about love. That's just a glimpse. That's just a taste. That's just a small picture of everything that God is when it comes to love. It's just a reflection of who he is when it says God is love. And Paul says, that's what I want you rooted in. That's where I want your life coming from. That's where I want your strength coming from. That's where I want your energy coming from. That's where I want everything that you live for coming from that place. That God is love. Not simply from vision or strategy or achievement or trying to win the town or trying to do something with the gifts that he's given you. Now those things are important. Paul writes about some of those things. But when he prays, when he says, here's my longing, here's my desire for you, I want you to know this love. To define it some more in terms of what kind of love. See, in Greek, they have different words for different kinds of love. This is where the English language misses something. There's a Greek word for love when it comes to kind of friendship and brotherly love or love between friends and just general relationships. There's another word which talks about the kind of physical union and sexual love and intimacy love. That's a different word. And then there's this word here that Paul's using and is used a lot in the New Testament, and it's sacrificial love, self-giving love, love which doesn't win anything back love, laying your life down love, hanging on a cross love, giving everything love being beaten, whipped, accused, hung on a cross and abandoned in order to rescue those who hate you and curse you, love. And that's the love that burns in God's heart. And it's so important we get that because the word love in the English language has been reduced primarily now 
to kind of a physical sexual love. It's been used to kind of justify all kinds of things. Well, if it's love, then it's fine, isn't it? The good thing is we know that hate is wrong. And we know that violence and harming people is wrong. But what we say is, well, if there's love, then it's fine how people live. And if that makes you feel good, and it becomes a self-centered love, and it becomes more about us than about the other. So if you love that person now, and you did love them, and you made vows to be with them, but you love them now, well, that's love. And who can predict the course of love? So go with your heart and love them. The vows, the promises, and everything else you made... Well, they don't mean anything because there's no love anymore. So leave that person and come to this person. And in that sense, it's about me. Yes, there's love, but it's about me being happy. Do you see what I mean? There may be physical, may be sexual. All of that may be there. The Greeks had a different word for that. They called it something else. God doesn't want us rooted and established and strong in that kind of love. That love has a place. But it goes alongside a sacrificial, giving love. Where it's nothing to do with me and everything to do with the other person. That's the kind of love that's being talked about here. That's the kind of love that Paul wants us to understand God has for us. That it wasn't about his fulfillment. It wasn't about what he was going to get out of this. It was a sacrificial, self-giving love. That he himself came into the world, lived among us became sin for us, gave his life on a cross for us. Sometimes people say, look, I love these words, I get what you're saying from this passage, but I've never felt God's really loved me. How, how can I really know? You don't need a feeling, you don't need an encounter, you don't need an experience, although I believe God does have those for every single one of us. Because love without encounter, love without a feeling, isn't, is hard to comprehend. But where it starts is God demonstrated it once and for all, Paul says in Romans, through giving his son on a cross. So if you're thinking this morning, I'm getting this, Andy, I get the truth, it's not totally new to me, but I don't feel it, listen, look at the cross. God's demonstrated it once and for all. None of us need anything more than that. He has shown us this kind of love by giving himself for us. And if you're in that place of kind of being someone who's, yeah, but I've never really experienced it. I've never felt overwhelmed by his love. I've never felt that passion that he has for me. It's only ever been words. I kind of believe it, but I've never really experienced it. Do the journey in the head first. Eventually, at some point, more will come. But settle it by faith. It's a faith issue first before a feeling issue. It's a faith issue first before an experience issue. It's a faith issue. I'm choosing to believe that this is true for me, that God has desire, longing, and love for me. How do I know? Because he sent Jesus to die on the cross so that I could be with him forever and ever and ever. That's what it cost. That's what it took. Not because you're beautiful, lovely, or gorgeous, but because he has self-sacrificing love with passion, feeling, and fire to rescue you from sin so that he could be with you forever and ever, and he could rejoice, be happy, thrilled, party, celebrate, dance with you forever. That's the gospel. That's what Paul's talking about. It's that self-sacrificial love. 
And that's what he wants us rooted in. That's what he wants us established in. That's what he wants life, energy, strength coming to us. If you head into 2016, what will you be rooted in? What will your life come from? There's nothing wrong with ambition. But if your ambitions don't come off, what are you left with? Success at work, success in study, go for success. Go for achievement, nothing wrong with it. Except when the achievement doesn't work, or other people do better than you, then you can end up being pretty driven because you've got to go for the next achievement. It doesn't bring life. The energy, strength, affirmation it brings lasts but for a moment because once you've achieved that, there's something else to achieve. Work is meant to be rewarding. There's nothing wrong with celebrating a success. There's nothing wrong with celebrating something that we've done well. God made us that way. But that's not what we're meant to be rooted in. That's not where life, energy, strength comes from. Other people, relationships, hoping, longing that you'll meet the person that you've been praying for for ages or you'll have a good friend that will understand. Pray for those things. But that's not where strength, when the storms come, comes from. It comes from being rooted in God's sacrificial love. Don't put hope, energy, that this will get it right and the church will watch out for you. I know too many people who aren't really close to Jesus anymore because they say the church let them down. I often will have compassion and understanding and sympathy with them if they need that and they need help and encouragement and they're trying to find their way back. If they're not in that place, what I want to say to them is, well, what did you expect? You are never meant to put your hope, roots, life in this. Some of you have heard me say this before. I've had the privilege of being involved closely in church life, in leadership, not always leading churches, but closely in church life for years. I've never got more hurt or experienced more pain. Because we get it wrong. Because we muck up. There are people who probably unknowingly to me, sadly, who I may have hurt, misunderstood, got things wrong. We will. God doesn't want us putting our energy, putting our hope, getting our strength, getting our life from what we're going to find from one another. Oh, he wants that working well. He wants friendship. One of the reasons Paul wants us rooted in this love, so this becomes the love we have for one another. Because if your roots are going into this love, then what will come out of you is self-sacrificial love to others. That's why Paul is, one of the reasons Paul is praying this, so that yes, you'll be strong, we'll be strong, the church will be strong, not because we're achieving and strategic and experiencing the power of God, no, because we're overwhelmed with knowing his passion and emotion and self-sacrificing love for us, but also in order that this will be the love we have for one another. This will be the love we'll have for our neighbor. This will be the love we'll have for people in our city. But don't put your hope in that. Because we'll fail. We'll let one another down. This will break, sadly. But God's love will never, ever break, fail, or leave you or abandon you. God's desire will remain strong and burning and passionate just as it did when he sent Jesus into the world. And that, and that alone 
is what you need to put your roots into as you head into 2016. See, when difficulties come, when you pray for someone and they're not healed, or you're on the receiving end of that, yeah, there's confusion, disappointment, more pain, but what your roots can go into is, yeah, but I still know that God demonstrated his love for me. Healing may not have come. This prayer may not have been answered. This job has not worked out. This situation may be really difficult. Family is really tough. But what my roots are going in, they're going deeper than that. They're going past that. Yeah, this is tough. Yeah, this hurts. Yeah, this needs fixing. Yeah, I don't want this to carry on for another year. But what my roots are going into, they're going through that and they're going deeper, deeper and deeper. What into? Into this into a God who gave himself for his love and passion for me. And as Paul says elsewhere in Romans, nothing, totally nothing can separate you from that love. So there could be some stuff which comes up this year which is pretty scary. Could be some more pain, could be more difficulty. Could be some great things, promotions, job things opening up. New opportunities in ministry. Stuff happening that you didn't expect and suddenly something opens up for you and it's amazing. Praise God, fantastic. Embrace it, enjoy it. But whether it's hardship or whether it's good things, get your roots into the one thing that will never, ever change. This God in heaven, your heavenly Father, gave himself because he loves you, wants you, desires you 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 made in his image gives him pleasure he delights in you yeah but how much have i got to pray how much i've got to read the bible how much stuff have i got to give to the church how many rotors do i have to be on to serve zero none sorry jonathan you've just lost all your rotors and the budget's gone through the floor it has nothing to do with anything we give or achieve or perform at. It has everything to do with who God is and his nature and his righteousness and his burning love for you. All you have to do, as Paul says, is be rooted in it, is be established in it, is make sure that that's what you're living in. That's where life, energy, strength power, hope, faith is coming from. That no matter what comes up, no matter what happens, the thing you can stand in is, well, his love for me hasn't changed. And Paul goes on, just to kind of underline it, as we head into for a finish. He wants you to understand how wide it is, how deep it is, how long it is, how high it is. Because it's very, very wide, long, deep, and high. This love is limitless. That is stunning. There is no end to this love. Nothing can cut you off from it. Nothing can come against it. Nothing can stand in the way of it. Nothing can block it. Nothing you can do. Nothing you can say. Nothing you can think. Nothing anybody else can do. Nothing the devil can do. He's been beaten anyway. Nothing that anyone can do can change the fact that God sent Jesus into the world. He died on the cross. He rose on the third day. He demonstrated his love for you. All the evil powers have been defeated. He will come again and righteousness and justice and joy will reign forever and ever. Nothing can ever change 
change that. Nothing can separate you from his love. It is limitless. It's never going to run out. It's never going to run dry. You won't wake up one morning and think, God loves me. Oh, no, he doesn't love me today. Is God's love there for me? Can I get my roots into it? Oh, there doesn't seem to be anything there. There doesn't seem to be any love coming. There doesn't seem to be enough for me. It will always, 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 always be enough. It is limitless. His love for you, his desire for you. I've not even done it justice this morning. I've not even touched the edge of what God has for you, for his church, for his people. Do you realize when God scans across Birmingham, And he sees a community like this, and there's many others, it's not just us. God's heart beats with passion for his church. That's what Paul's talking about, the church and us individually. Don't make this an individual thing, it's a corporate thing. Don't only make it corporate because the corporate exists because of the individuals. Both are true. Does God just love the church then? Yes. You in the church? Yeah. Well, then he loves you then. It goes together. Love's burning passion, you, and there's no end to it. Not only is there no end to that, but the passion finishes, the prayer of Paul's finishes to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. It just, it's, it's like a mountain, this prayer. You just keep going up and up and up in the vistas of truth. And what he says. What a line to close out this year and head into next year with. Not only can God do more than what you'll ask him because of his love, passion, desire, and righteousness, he can do more than what you can imagine. So we get to pray some pretty big prayers. We can get to ask God for some pretty huge things. Being grounded and rooted in his love. Not just our life being better. Not just what we want, not just what makes us look good, but being grounded and rooted in his love, we can come to our Father and say, here's what I'm asking. Here's what I want to pray for my family. Here's what I want to pray for this church. Here's what I want to pray for this city. Here's what I want to pray for my neighbor. Here's what I want to ask for me. And you can pray with confidence and you can pray with faith because God can do more than what you ask. And some big theological expression that and some he can do even more than what you can ask or even imagine such is his love such is his desire such is his passion for the church so let's head into the year praying pray some big prayers this year, this week i don't know what you're doing new year but pray yeah maybe new year's resolutions if you do that maybe reflect a bit maybe just get some sleep But whatever you do, and whichever way you do it, pray. I'm determined to pray some big prayers for Church Central, other churches in the city. And whenever you pray, pray knowing that God can do immeasurably more. How do you measure that? Immeasurably more than what you ask or what you can even think. Let's be a church and a community that is rooted in one thing and one thing only. God's burning love for us which he has demonstrated in Christ let it never be just a cold statement something we take for granted words that we sing which come off our lips so easily because so many songs talk about his love we just let it go over our heads Paul's passion the apostle the writer of so much of the New Testament what he wanted believers to know more than anything 
was God's burning longing and desire for us, the church.